Hey everybody, it's Timmy Gibson here with you for the Timmy Gibson Show and in studio today, I'm super excited about a new friend of mine in the wedding business. Mike King is in the house, everybody. Hello, hello. (laughs) What's up, everybody? Even though I can't see you, I am waving. (laughs) We're uh, recording uh, down here on the Country Club Plaza in Kansas City, and we both are in the wedding industry, which is how we, how did we, we've done weddings together, but I guess it was at the Wedding Vendor Social that we went to. Got a chance to hang out more. Got to know each other a little bit better. Yeah. So thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited. I've never done a podcast. (laughs) I'm pretty excited about this. Yeah, man. So uh, one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about, because you and I share somewhat of a similar uh, story, oddly (laughs) enough, and and being, um, you know, raised Christian or at least quasi um, you know, kind of our family stories are a little nutty, but yeah, they're very similar, uh, but your story really was just fascinating. And so that's when I was like, Mike, I gotta have you on the podcast to talk about your story. So you don't have to go back, I guess, to when you were an infant necessarily, but, um, kind of tell us a little bit about your, your journey of, of especially getting into when you got into high school, but oh, yeah, with definitely. your family and yeah, so I definitely, uh, didn't grow up the, the typical, child life i guess you could say i had uh, two parents just like everybody everybody does um but i had a mom and a dad and just like everybody else but uh had a mom with cancer at a very young age she found out she was diagnosed with cancer at 35 um immediately after she got diagnosed with cancer my dad said i'm done i'm going to move out so my dad didn't want to be there with for my mom and so my mom raised me and my sister uh, wow. as a single mom basically um and then so just growing up with somebody with cancer um and this is back in the 80s so it wasn't like cancer like nowadays so she had a colostomy bag she had colon cancer um so she, my sister and i had a my mom couldn't really work so my sister and i had to take care of her wow. and when my mom could work she would go to work um but we were good and but she had cancer, uh, severe cancer, and then she eventually passed away at the age of 40. Okay. Um, so I was 16 years old, just getting ready to turn 16. And so she passed away at 16. So it's just you and your sister. Just me and my sister. Wow. How old was your sister? My sister, at the t- so she was three years older than me. So she was 19 and she just had a baby. Um, my sister graduated high school. I was just starting high school um, for the first time and starting to get stuff. Um, and then my mom had cancer, but before she even, before she passed away, um, it started getting really bad about when I was like in seventh grade yeah. where she was in chemo all the time. And so I never wanted to go home cause I used to, truthfully, my mom slept on our couch. So it was like watching your mom pass away in front of you. So I never it was wanted, hard to deal it with. It was very hard to deal with. And then when I did get home, I had to clean out the colostomy bags. I had to manage her wounds as Uh, a 15 16 16 year old kid and my sister was doing the exact same thing she was raising her kid and taking care of our mom and so it played a lot of stuff like i couldn't have friends over because they would have to see that and so it was very kept secret um the friends that i did have were my true best friends so it was great to have them over we were i was in boy scouts so my boy scout friends knew about my mom but other than that if they weren't a very close niche with me I didn't want to bring it around because I didn't want people to feel sorry for us 
or think negative thoughts. Yeah. You, know, I didn't, you know how kids are. Kids are, oh, you don't wear Tommy Hilfiger. You yeah. know, and I couldn't afford Tommy yeah, Hilfiger. Yeah, like, fuck you. Yeah, I was like, I ain't wearing no Tommy, you jerk off. You know, but my mom did the best she could. Like, I had the best mom in the world. Like, she signed me up for karate. She was at every Boy Scout meeting I ever was at. Uh, matter of fact, my mom was the first Boy Scout leader. Uh, in St. Louis, because no men would ever step up to the plate and be like, I'll be a Boy Scout leader. Yeah. And I, at the time, I was a, a Weeblos. You're supposed to be a Weeblos for two years. I was a Weeblos for four years because no dad would step up to the plate. So my mom's like, I'm tired of this Weeblos stuff. He wants to be a Boy Scout. So my mom was the first Boy Scout leader. That's and cool. so my mom took me and like three other guys camping. And my mom, here she is with cancer. She taught me and all my male friends how to catch a fish, how to fillet a fish. Uh, what else? She's taught us all kinds of stuff like in Boy Scouts. My mom was tough. And so that's cool. Uh, it was cool. It was cool. And then um, seventh grade comes. I got in junior high and a whole new aspect of friends. And then I uh, just never wanted to go home. And so I got in a lot of trouble. I mean, yeah. and I always timed it just enough to get in trouble every day. So I'd have to stay after school for after school suspension. And then I had a great uh, seventh grade teacher and she told she figured it out, caught on to it that she's like, why don't you ever want to go home? And then I finally told her, I was like, I got a mom who has cancer and she's dying. I just don't want to be at home. Yeah. So that teacher became a best friend of mine. She would take me out to eat. She would take me clothes shopping. So I would have That's, Tommy Hilfiger. Yeah. Yeah, is this the teacher that you eventually ended up moving yep, in with? I eventually for moved time? in with her. Yep. After my mom died. So she was a cool teacher that just took care of me and taught me, um, the right and wrongs. And so like so much. So seventh grade went by, eighth grade went by, ninth grade went by. We still always remained friends. Um, and then when my mom died, she went to the funeral. And then uh, at that time I had everybody wanting to want me to live with them. I can imagine. Yeah. So, and you know, like family members, family friends. members came out of the woodworks, like aunts that I only saw one time a year were like, come live with me. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't know don't you. Fucking know you. I don't live. I don't <laughs> want to live with you. You don't have any kids. You don't know what it's like. Yeah. And I'm not saying I was a bad kid, but I wasn't also a perfect kid. You know. Sure. I've always got away with murder, but I've never been grounded. And they're gonna say, "Okay, you're grounded." And I'm like, "No, no, no. I've never been grounded. You can't ground me." Yeah. And <laughs> so I lived with aunts. Um, I got my uh, life my mom's life insurance, uh, and I went out and bought a car with it. Um, I got twenty thousand dollars. I went out and bought a car with. I think I paid $5,000 for it brand new at the time. Yeah. And, um, my okay. aunt and uncle stole the rest. No yes. Shit. They stole $15,000 of mine. And I was told I was going to get it if I graduated high school. Well, obviously nobody thought I was going to graduate high school because I was such a bad kid. Yeah. You know, I just got by school by the skin of my teeth. So they all thought I was going to drop out. No big deal. Well then, uh, aunt and uncles were like, you got to leave once they got my soul. And then they started getting my social security check each month. Oh shit. Yep. So that was, no, you didn't tell me this oh, part. No, what up? They're, they're fucked. Yeah, they're fucked. So they, so I got like $350 a week and my aunt and uncle stole it from me. Oh my and, um, God. I was like, I want my money and I'll, I'll get out on my own. I'll go do my own thing. And they were like, no, you're not gonna, you can leave, but you're not getting your money. And so I was like, I could leave. And they're like, yeah, you can leave. And so when I left, I went over to my friend's house um, and I lived with them and I woke up the next morning. My truck is gone. They stole my truck, even though the truck was in my name. Oh. Uh, so for 
Are they, okay, are these fuckers still alive? No, no, I'm so glad they died. I was happy when they passed <laughs> Oh, my God. So my aunt passed away, like, so this, like, in 93 when my mom passed away. I think my aunt passed away in 96. And when she passed away, I, I hate sounds mean, but I laughed. And I, I actually high-fived and said, yes, thank you, because karma's a bitch. That's yes, all I could kept on saying, because now my life is great, and I laughed about it. And so, yeah, my aunt passed away. Did you ever get that social security money ever? Like, did it ever get re read? So it did eventually, but it took, let's see, three years of going to court over it. Um, so make a long story short, I got emancipated so I can try to get my own money. Right. And so I got emancipated. And for those who don't know what emancipated is, I went to court and basically anything in the state you were 17. Uh, I just, I was getting ready to turn 17. Okay. So I was still 16. You can basically you're your own your guardian at the age of 16 years old. Yeah. Um. So it's a good thing, but it was a bad thing at the same time because your dad the, wasn't in the picture. My dad right, was not right. in the picture. Right. Uh, but my my um school was like, you cannot be emancipated. You're an adult. So technically, by the Missouri law, you're an adult and you're not allowed to be in school. So my best friend's parents, um, the Adlers, who I call the Adlers, or my mom and dad, they took me in out of kind of their heart. And they said, you can come live with us. We'll sign whatever paperwork you have, but there's rules. You can't, you have to be home by nine o'clock at night. No phone calls past nine o'clock. Um, and you know what? I did not care because it was a place to live. Yeah. I had a shelter. Um, I had to pay rent at 16 years old. So yeah. every week I paid um, um, 50 bucks a week for rent. Yeah. And so that taught me a lesson. Good people probably. Yeah, good people. Yeah. And then, uh, so they were great people. I still love them. I still talk to them every day. They're my mom and dad. Um, I talk to them every day. Um, so they're great people. And then eventually I moved out, lived, lived with some other friends on my own at 16. So I'm in high school. Um, got kicked out of high school and then did a lot of rough end jobs. And when I mean rough end, I've done concrete, I've done roofing, landscaping, uh, any job I could get working at White Castles, uh, anything. Dude, just, I miss White Castle. Because uh, that's the St. Louis company, or is that because it was here? It's not here anymore. Yeah, so it was actually or, found in Wichita of all places. Oh no, and shit. there's not even one in the state of Kansas. Yeah, so you just for our listeners that don't know, you're from uh, I'm from St. Louis. I'm from Ferguson, Louis. Ferguson, the Ferguson, hood. Missouri. Or what is the hood now? It's the hood now. Is that it made national news. Yeah, yeah, I love, Fer but Ferguson. No, but Ferguson was awesome growing up, man. Like that's what the bad part is. The news doesn't show you. So we have a parade, just like all your small town. We had a parade every Fourth of July. We had movie night every Friday night at the park. Oh. Um, we had at, at, at January Wabash Park, January Wabash Park, that's what it was called. Yeah. And so we had movie nights. We had mixers as little kids. I remember being like, I don't know, like eight, nine years old. And we'd go dancing at the Civic Center and just have fun. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so it was a good small town. I mean, the police officer, like you knew your police officers. That was yeah. the best. And then still to this day, I still know a lot of the police officers um, cause they've been there forever. Yeah. Um, great town growing up. And then the Michael Brown situation happened. That's a whole nother podcast. I can go into that one yeah. later, <laughs> but no, Ferguson was a good town. I loved it. And, you know, yeah. I grew up there my whole life, Ferguson, Florissant, which is all part of North County. Yeah. So that's what we consider North County. Um, it's totally different. Um, we divide everything in St. Louis by North County, West County and South County. So oh. it's three different parts of one city. Okay. Um, so, and the, but believe it or not, all three counties is different money status. 
And that's why we do it. Yeah. And so like growing up there, you can, you try to date, especially in high school, you try to date the people in your same class. So a St. Louis question, if you ever meet someone in St. Louis, you always say, oh, you went to St. Louis or you're from St. Louis. And you always, the next follow-up question is what high school did you go to? Uh, and the reason why we that do, could qualify you that like, qualifies everything that breaks everything down for us, especially when you're in a dating scene. So like, and if you're in high school and you're dating somebody who lives in West County, well, West County is the people who have the $300,000 homes. They usually have the both parents. They got lots of money. They're driving around the nice cars, yeah. you know, well, they got the Audis. In yeah. There. Yeah. They got the Audis <laughs> and they got Tommy Hilfiger and like all the name brand clothes yeah. and you're from North County. Well, you know, those, you two are not going to meet up. If you guys are not going to have anything in common. So you wouldn't date that person from West County. Oh. You know, you, you, you stick to your, your kind, I guess you could say, yeah. don't cross the railroad tracks. Yeah. Same thing. You have South County, which is very similar to North County, but just across the town of St. Yeah. Louis. So it's, that's why you do it. So like, even down to the high schools. So I went to McClure, the Comets, <laughs> not <laughs> North, McClure, the original McClure. And there was another school that we had called McClure North. Well, McClure North had a little bit more money because that was Florissant. Oh. And so you couldn't date somebody who went to a different school. And if you did, it was like, that's how you could tell. So when I met my wife, Dorothy, the first thing I asked her, I said, what high school did you go to? And she said, McClure. And I was like, well, I go to McClure. I've never seen you before. Well, I forgot I was kicked out of high school. Yeah. So duh. <laughs> yes. Oddly enough, I didn't see you because I, I wasn't see you. there. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. You didn't go to my house every day. <laughs> well, what's cool about your story with Dorothy is you guys have been together since you were young. Yeah. We started dating. She was just turned 15 and I just turned 16 or 17, just turned 17. And yeah. so wow. we started dating at a very young age. And moved in together when you were young. We were still in high school. Young. Yeah. We were in high school. So I was a junior in high school. Dorothy was a, a, a sophomore in high school. And her her parents were cool. Her mom was say. okay with it. Um, my parents didn't know she lived with me. It was a secret until probably right before we walked down the aisle. They didn't know that we lived together. Uh, I always just thought Dorothy just stays the night. She doesn't live here. Right, right. <laughs> and my parents were like, okay, because if you came to my house, it looked like a dude's house. I mean, right. you had a, a futon, you had, I had a foosball table, typical guy stuff. <laughs> so my parents never knew, but yeah. So Dorothy yeah. and I were high school kids. Uh, Dorothy was on, on honor roll. So she was a straight A student. And then I was, now that I got back into school, I started making A's and B's because of Kim, the teacher that I lived with, the seventh grade teacher. Yeah. And you lived with her about a year? So I lived with, yep. I lived with my seventh grade teacher for one year. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have got back into school at all. So she got me she back into school. You. Yeah, she fought for me. And as a matter of fact, her and other school teachers went to the school board and was going to sue. That's their own school district. They were going to sue if I didn't get back into school. They all vouched for me saying I was a good kid and stuff like that. That's such a neat story. It is a very, it's like, like what it's, I would love to interview your teacher sometime. You're like, what motivated you? Like, what did you see? Not just in Mike. I mean, you're a great guy, but it's like, what motivated, motivated her to, to say, I'm going to help this young man out. I don't know. I, 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 I ask her that all the time. And she says that something about my charisma. That's all she said. She's like, you just she says, when, saw something special. In yeah. You. She said, every time I walk into a room, I always light up the room. And so she was just like, and then when she saw me go dark, as you could say, yeah. she knew there was something wrong. And she's like, I gotta get that light back out. And she did. And it worked. Um, 
what the, the best thing that I can take away from living with her, she took me off the street and taught me how to be a man. And yeah. I know that sounds weird, but uh, I was already had my own bank accounts, my own checking accounts. I was already saving up money. Uh, I already went to the court and fought my way out. You know what I mean? So I've been to court. I was an adult, but I was still a child. And so I knew how that worked, but then I let the streets teach me how to be street smart. Yeah. But then I got carried away with it. And so she was like, you live with me. You're going to, we're going to change things around. But she showed me the world that I didn't think that I was ever going to be able to achieve. Yeah. And I think that's the thing I take away from her the most is that she showed me the world. My eyes opened up because I thought I was going to be stuck in St. Louis my whole life. Yeah. I thought I was going to live in a house that I grew up that maybe my parents, I think paid $30,000 for. I didn't think I'd ever own a new car ever in my life. Yeah. And she showed me things that it's just it like possible, possible things that like, she took me my one time, she took me and Dorothy both out to um, a restaurant. And at the time it cost like $50 a plate to eat at. Yeah. And she was a waitress there. So she just got it for free. But yeah. in my mind, I didn't know she got there, got it for free. Yeah. But I saw how much it cost for the plate of food of $50 a plate. And Dorothy and I both looked at each other and we were like, $50 for food? Yeah. Holy cow, this is the most I've ever seen in food. And Dorothy too, because we grew up right next door to each other. Yeah. And so Dorothy and I were shocked and we were like, we want to live this lifestyle. Yeah. You know, we want to live a lifestyle where we can, if I drop $50 a plate of food, you know, for a family of four, you can still pay rent. I can still pay rent <laughs> and I don't have to beg money. Um, I can, and she took me to thrift shopping and yeah. I fell in love. Cause I was like, I've never had name brand clothes. She took me to thrift shopping and I had name brand clothes, even though I was at thrift store. And I was yeah. like, this is cool to me. So that's such a trendy thing to do to now. It is now. It is. My kids are always like, Dad, look what I found at the thrift store. I'm like, Well, that's dope. Yeah. So, <laughs> so now, like, she taught Dorothy and I, and uh, she even got me an etiquette teacher. Man. Yes. I didn't know how to eat. You know, I didn't know, like, how to place the forks or, you know, like, typical child cuts, but you, you cut with your left hand and your food went everywhere. Right. And so she was like, I got to teach you everything from square one. Not saying that my mom didn't teach me properly. Sure. I just, well, she was sick and she was sick. Yeah. yeah but I, I was always respectful to know how to talk to adults, but I never was taught the proper, you know, etiquette of sitting down, how to do a placement table, yeah. um, how to properly shake people's hands. That, yeah. That's, that's an art that people yeah. would never teach their kids. Yeah. Um, so I met an etiquette teacher that taught me all this stuff. And wow. then Kim, took me things, you know, she was just like, do you want to go to Disney? I never could go to Disney. Yeah. And, uh, so I was like, yeah, I, I want to go to Disney. So she was going to take me to Disney, uh, but never got to go, but I finally got to go eventually, yeah. but, uh, just doing the small stuff. But then she taught me how to, um, fix electrical outlets. Cause I lived in, we lived in a 105 year old house. So I learned how to do electrical stuff. Wow. So Kim was basically just grooming me to be this awesome guy. And she taught me how to romance Dorothy at the same time. Yeah. Uh, Kim would like teach me how to cook so I could cook for Dorothy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so Kim was in our relationship this our whole lives. And still to this day, Kim's in our, I still talk to Kim every day. That's and so cool. So yeah, so it was great. Shout out to Kim. Yeah, shout out to you, Kim. <laughs> you brought, she, she's still in St. Louis? Yeah, she's still in St. Louis. She, this is her final year of teaching. She just told me the news uh, uh two days ago that she's retiring 
Uh, so I'm so happy that she's retired. She's been there for 35 years wow. of teaching. So yes, yeah, so at the same school, same school. Yes. Same exact That's school. That's really cool. So yeah. So, so growing up in St. Louis, so I have my part of my extended family, uh, St. Charles and lived in St. Charles. So I'm, so I'm, you know, I mean, I know St. Louis a little bit, plus it's close, you know, like four hours from here, from Kansas city. That's but drive slow three. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, can get, I can get there quicker. Um, the one thing I, that I always think as a Kansas city person hearing about St. Louis is there's some rough areas. Like, oh yeah. Like eat, like you always say East don't get, don't yeah, get don't caught in East St. Louis. Louis. They'll go to East St. Louis and they'll go to North St. Louis. Yeah, so it's North St. Louis. Is that where Ferguson is? No, so or, North St. Louis is actually St. Louis City. That's the actual part of this city. Okay. So it's kind of more like East. near the stadium. The the yeah, near Edwards, the stadium. Yep, whatever. Edwards Jones Dome. Yeah. So near the all the stadiums, that's North Kansas City. That's um, a sketchy part of town. Yeah, and then the reason why it is sketchy, I'll give the quick history of it. I'm a history nerd. Um, back in World War II, St. Louis was the main manufacturing for most of the ammunition. So mm -hmm. during those times, World War II. World War One, it was booming. It was a booming city. And then eventually World War II shut down all those plants. After World War II, there's no more ammunition yeah. to be made. So you shut the plants down. Of course, you have all these people making tons of money. Now you lose their jobs. City goes downhill, just like uh -huh. typical economics. Right. So it went to be a good part of town back in the day, like in the 50s and 60s was a good part of the days. Yeah. And then no more jobs in the city. There is no jobs in the city. So they had to pack up and leave all the people that couldn't afford i was turned to bad neighborhoods so that's the history of st louis especially okay. north st louis so north county is part of the st louis county and that's where the four the three counties come from north south and that's why we say counties because that's part of the county where like kansas city we just have one big city yeah so actually st louis city is very very tiny i think it's only like a couple hundred thousand people Okay. Like maybe 300,000 people is the actual city size, yeah. but the county that surrounds it is huge. huge. It's huge. Okay. So then you have all these municipalities and stuff like that. So Ferguson is a municipality of St. Louis. So it is a, just a sub, like um, a small town, just like Gladstone or something like that. Yeah. That's here in, in Kansas city. You know, I've never understood like when people talk about, because I have a lot of friends that grew up in the hood or whatever that's the terminology, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Cause I, I, I've grew up all my life in Kansas city and, uh, whoops, sorry. I should have turned my phone off. Um, I haven't really experienced any other area outside of Kansas city, but I don't feel like there's any area in Kansas city that I couldn't go to at least during the day. Now there might be areas that you shouldn't go to at, at night just cause that's where some, you know, rough stuff can happen or whatever. Uh, in St. Louis, I've heard there, there's you, a lot you don't of go there even during the day. Yeah, there's a lot of places like, like I said, when I was thought I was tough and a gangster, I had a lot of friends that lived in the bad parts of towns and I would go hang out with them and, and sit on the street corner and just people watch, I guess you could call it, you know? Yeah. And it was, I was told by my friends, you need to leave, dude, it's time to go. And I'd be like, what? I don't want to leave. You know? And they're like, yeah. you got to go. Um, I've been pulled over places because at the time I had a brand new, I bought a Ford Ranger with my, my money. Um, and like, what are you doing over yeah, here? The cops were, I mean, don't, 
I had a car probably nicer than most cops did, you know, and they were like, you're a kid. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a kid. What's your point? And and you dealing I or something? Yeah. They always thought I was dealing and I did have a pager on me back in the day when, yeah. you know, and I did have like <laughs> I had the, a pager. I had, the, I, had the, <laughs> I had the first pager cell phone in, in high yeah. school, you know, but I had the pager because of my mom, the hospital actually paid for it. Yeah. Um, but then that the cell phones came out, I actually had a bag phone in the 90s. <laughs> no shit. I had a bag so phone. So you would have looked like a I little looked drug like dealer. I looked like a drug dealer. Oh my God, <laughs> I looked like a drug dealer. But it was just, it was literally, so if my mom called me and said, get home, I need something. I was there, her beck and call. My sister and I had to carry around this, these pagers and bag phones. Wow. Yeah, just for emergency reasons only. Yeah. But yeah, so when I got pulled over by cops, cops would be like, hey, what are you doing? And of course, the typical kid i had the booming system in the back <laughs> so i had the low rider with the booming system yeah. and uh, so yeah growing up at ferguson it was i would get pulled over almost all the time like it was i knew the cops that's how i knew the cops it, was, it wasn't like a good thing but right i never was in trouble though like i never i knew where the the line was yeah you know um, the first time I got arrested is because I didn't pay a speeding ticket. Oh, and geez. that taught me a lot of lessons. I actually went to jail, jail with adults. And I was like, whoa, I'm paying my tickets now on. <laughs> I'll never miss a ticket. For I'll you never miss a ticket again. <laughs> Matter of fact, that was one of Dorothy and I's first dates ever. Um, <laughs> I said, hey, what are you doing tonight? She's like, nothing. I said, you want to go to court with me? And so she's like, what? I said, I got a speeding ticket I got to pay for. Yeah. And we went to court. So it was funny. And, you know, That's now awesome. we laugh about it because Dorothy's mom actually works for that police department now so yeah, I'm that's like so awesome <laughs> so yeah it's, it's fun so growing up in ferguson was awesome growing up in st louis was different it's and then what made me fall in love with kansas city though yes yeah, that's what i was gonna ask next is how you got here i got here just because i was sick of st louis it's a small town even though it's huge it's still a small town especially because you're i'm narrow-minded out there you don't leave north county you stay in north county everything is done in your neighborhood and so I was done with it. I was like, I'm done with everybody knowing me. I couldn't go to the movies without somebody knowing me. I couldn't go to even to a restaurant with somebody without knowing me. And I, I know that sounds like, oh, that'd be awesome. It is, but at the same time, I, I like to be private. I like yeah. my private life. Um, so I moved out to Kansas City and St. Louis is fast paced. Yeah. Everything's a hundred miles per hour. That's why I, I think I talk fast because of St. Louis. Yeah. Um, so when I moved out here, I, I remember the first day I came out here. Because um, you were already DJing. I've always already So you DJing. started DJing in St. Louis. Started DJing in St. Louis. And then okay. I moved out here. Uh, there used to be a bar here called America's Pub right at, down yeah, here. Yeah, that was like a, a famous, yeah. I mean, on the radio, that always heard their commercials. So I DJed for them. Okay. And so I, I would come out here to DJ for them. America's and then I pub. would stay out here for the weekend. And But I just fell in love with Kansas City. It's just the way people were. They were at slower pace. Um, but I remember watching the news one night here and in St. Louis, the first 10 minutes is on the 8,600 block of Kings highway so, so died. I was here and like that lasted for like two minutes. And then I remember them seeing a report about a cat stuck in a tree. <laughs> and I went, what kind of news is this? And I said, I love this city. If they're going to talk about a cat stuck in the tree and it made the news, yeah. this is a great city. And so I fell in love with Kansas City that day. And I, I said, I'm going to move out here. And then whenever I got a chance to get a, another job, I took a job out here. And they said, do you know anybody in Kansas City? I lied. And I said, oh, I know. Yeah, my family's from there. I didn't know anybody out here. Yeah. The only people I knew were the people that I worked with at America's Pub. Yeah. And then 
that was it. Is that like, the one off Metcalf and No America's Pub at the time was down in um oh what is that? That in Westport. Oh, oh really? Yeah, okay. Westport. Okay. Yeah. So I would DJ there on the weekends. I DJ Friday and Saturday nights and then uh it was cool. So I would stay with other DJs. And Dorothy how, came with you. No, Dorothy didn't come with me the first year. I lived out here on my own for the first year because okay. I, I, at the time, I traveled too much. Because uh, you weren't married yet then. No, weren't married. Dorothy so you're still dating. Still dating. Long uh, just long distance. She lived in Dallas. And then I lived here. And I told her, I said, the city's great. You need to come try it. You know, it's a really good city. And so Dorothy came out here one weekend. She fell in love with it. And then we just kind of just slowly but surely just kept on talking about Kansas City and then Dorothy and I eventually after a year bought a house together and then a year after that we got married that's so, so yeah. cool what was your first house what part of town did you so our first house that I bought was in Liberty that's a cool place it's a great Belvoir winery is yeah Belvoir wineries a lot there. of weddings there yep so and the whole reason why I loved so when I we bought the house I remember telling the real estate agent because at the time I was living down South Kansas City Dorothy traveled just as much. So we needed to be close to the airport. Yeah. But growing up, Dorothy and I grew up near typical subdivision neighborhood, a bad part of town. So like I said, I grew up in a 105 year old house. Dorothy probably grew up in an 80 year old house because Ferguson's an old neighborhood. Yeah. It's like one of the oldest neighborhoods in St. Louis. So Dorothy and I both grew up in old houses. So we told the real estate agent, we want a new house, <laughs> a brand new house, but it's gotta be close to civilization yeah. and so we moved out to liberty and it was exactly what it, what i wanted yeah. but then it liberty got too busy and so then dorothy and i moved down to the city okay and then back now we just live in the city so it's kind of yeah. nice you're so. in north kansas city yeah we're in north kansas city yeah okay. i guess you consider that north kansas city and then over kansas city so it's cool that's awesome yay so michael i want to get to um a point of of kind of how we met right to, yep. which is through the the wedding industry um you know me working in the as an officiant you know you and i've worked together a lot yep. because i am close a lot with the djs because they're the ones that are micing me <laughs> up and, and doing up. the sound checks and all that and so i'm so fascinated by your story of of how you got into being a dj so take us back all the way to when you first had an interest in djing and then now, all you know, right. now to owning your own DJ business, being the baddest ass DJ in Kansas City. Come on, somebody. All right. <laughs> so the DJ and um, I had very musical family. I grew up my mom and my dad. I don't remember TV being on. It was music was on and dancing was in our household. Yeah. And so growing up in the 80s, Michael Jackson was oh, not only the yeah. king of pop, but man, he was the king of our household. So at six, seven, eight years old, I would moonwalk around the house. <laughs> I would beat it, Billy Jean it, anything to do with dancing. And so music was always in my life. And my mom listened to the 50s, you know, like the do bops and the wop it up, like my boyfriend's back and you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> and then my dad listened to the 70s rock. And then I had older brothers and sisters who listened to the, all the music. Well, then hip hop came out. Yeah. None of my brothers and sisters listened to it. No, MC Hammer. Yeah, Vanilla, oh, Vanilla Ice, MC Hammer, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. <laughs> uh, so the, there's just the commercial radio. And then. I got a little record 
called Two Live Crew and Too Short. Those are my first two albums that I bought with my own grass cutting money. Yeah. And so I bought them and I was blown away with it. And my mom even liked it. And so my mom was like, okay, whatever, that's cool. Well, then with my mom being so sick, MTV comes out. And now we got the Yo! MTV raps. And so my mom would sit home and watch the rap videos. Here I'm like 14, 15 years old. And my mom would watch MTV raps. And with all the dance would come on, my mom said, you could do that dance, can't you? I'm like, yeah, I could do the Roger Rabbit. I can do the MC Hammer. (laughs) And so that's how music got into my life is it wasn't about just the music. To me, it was always about dancing. And so growing up in Ferguson, going to McClure, we had crazy parties and hip hop DJs always. Well, then I knew that I went to a predominantly 50-50 school. I was like, they don't play enough white people music. And so my friends are like, why don't you DJ? And so I'd ask the DJ, yo, man, can we just play, play this song, play this song, play this song. These will get the kids up dancing. And so the DJs would do it and it would work. Well, I had a job at White Castles making money. So back then, CDs just came out. I was making like $9 an hour. CDs at the time were like 10 bucks, you know, a pop. So I would buy the CDs. Nobody else had CDs. So I would walk around with a big old CD book in my truck. (laughs) And every time somebody had a house party, I'd get a phone call. Yo, Mike, come over and DJ for us. Bring your CDs, man. I would would bring over like all the CDs, like Missy Elliott, Timberland and Magoo, (laughs) whatever were the hottest uh, at the time back in the the 90s was um, uh, Master P, make them say, uh. (laughs) So I had all this music and then, Graduated high school. Um, and then I was like, I need a job before I go to college. I needed a job. And I saw an ad in the paper and it said, do you want to make good money? Do you know music? And do you have a personality? Something like that. So I replied to it. I said, yeah. I went in for the interview. So I worked at, so my first interview was at a company called Complete Music. What up, Complete? What's Shout up? out to Dan Sims. Yo, yo, yo. Dan Sims was the owner. And then Scott Bernstein, uh, they are still there to this day. So this was in 1999. I just graduated high school in 97. So just kind of out of high school. No, 98. 98 is when I started. So in 98, I took a job interview and I got the job like that. Like they were... Most people, they say, we'll wait, we'll call you. Um, I got hired right there on the spot. They gave me a pencil and they said, do a wedding introduction. And I've only been to a few weddings. I mean, I yeah. say, listen, a huge Catholic town. My family's Catholic. So I've been to a couple of weddings. I know what they sound like. So um, I remember grabbing a pencil and I was like, ladies and gentlemen, at this time, let's make some noise for the brand new Mr. and Mrs. Smith. <laughs> and the, the guy that interviewed me said, that's it. That's perfect. That's we it. didn't You're... have to coach you what to say. <laughs> and so I took the job. And so I think I got paid $75 a show. Okay. But in training, I got paid $25 a show. I didn't care because I was like, I'm, not, I'm a DJ. <laughs> and... Yeah, I didn't care if it was for weddings, for anything. I'm like, I'm a DJ. I get to play music. I get paid to make people have fun. And I love to have fun, so why not? And so I took the job. And you're supposed to go out for three training sessions before you're even allowed to even touch anything. You're just to observe. By the first party, the first night I went out, nobody was dancing. And it was driving me nuts because the music was actually good. And I'm like... 
the electric slide. And the DJ just sat behind the booth. I'm like, are you not going to go out there and teach them how to do the electric slide? She goes, I don't do that stuff. So you don't teach people how to dance? And she goes, no, I'm a DJ. And I said, well, then can I go out and teach them how to do it? And she's like, sure. Never been on a microphone in my life. <laughs> yeah. Giving out instructions. Next thing you know, my very first night out, I get a tip of $100. I'm like, 100 bucks? What? I would have had to work at White Castles forever for that amount right. of money for 10 hours, but whatever. Sure. So I was like, I'll take that. So I took the, the 100 bucks. And then the second show I went out, the girl didn't want to DJ at all. She was having a bad day. She was, you DJ all of it. So I said, okay, fine. So I DJed. And by the third show, I was out on my own. And I was like, and the guy was like, you, you like this, don't you? And I was like, yeah. So then, long story short, I was the number one DJ in St. Louis. Uh, I had 80 bookings a year. That's so a, that's, that's a lot. That is about what I'm pulling in now these days. So yeah. first year out, I was booking. And then I, was, I did things different than I ever. So I took all the DJs I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I took out and I weeded out the, what I didn't like about them. And I weeded out like... And I, so I was like, that's what I'm doing different. You know, yeah. I thought about all the bad DJs we got at our high school shows. Yeah. I took of all the wedding DJs I've ever seen in my life and just fine tuned it to make myself different. And then I started talking to other DJs for Facebook and all that stuff came out. Sure. I started going around to, you know, different talking to other DJs and asking them, what did they do? And I come to find out I did things differently than other people always have. Yeah. Um, I have no problem clearing a plate off of the head table for a bride. Yeah. Uh, that is not, there's, it's not above me or below me, whatever yeah. you want to say. It's, I always thought if I can help lending helping hand and make somebody happy, yeah. that's what I'm put on earth for. And yeah. so that's how I truly feel. I've always believed that I was put on earth to make people happy. And so DJed really well out there. Um, graduated college. Became a school teacher, still DJed. Um, kept on DJing for Complete Music for five years. And then eventually I had a chance to move out to Kansas City. And then I got asked to DJ out here. And then I moved to San Antonio. I got asked to DJ for a company out there. All for the same company, Complete Music. So a total of 15 years I worked for them. Uh, mm -hmm. Technically four different locations. And then I got asked to buy a location, a franchise. Um, I did, I declined it because I think what I knew that I could do better without somebody telling me that I had to do it their way. Right. And I knew that I could do things my way and everything would turn out fine. And so that's exactly what it did is I took with, with being with Dorothy for so long, Dorothy's been in hospitality since we started dating as well. She's been working for Marriott. Um, so Dorothy knows customer service inside and out. That's what she trains everybody how to do. And so. We took that aspect of customer service to my DJing skills of mixing and knowing music, and it just worked out well. And my just dancing and having fun is something I believe if, if you have fun, everything else will fall in place. Yeah. And it's a monkey see, monkey do. That's awesome. And so I've always felt that if I dance, everybody else will dance. Yeah. If I'm not dancing, why would you dance? Right. You know, so it's a, it's a, cage, a contagious atmosphere yeah. that i like to bring into the bottom that's so, really cool so that's so, how i got into djing so when you when you so when you uh not left because i mean it, it was just kind of a got to a, a point where you were like i need to either buy a franchise or start my own thing or whatever so you ended up going your own your, on your own business 
Um, how was that first year of, of Mike King doing his own thing? So the first year I was balancing a, a corporate job that I had traveling around the world and then trying to do what I thought was going to be a weekend hobby. I was happy if I just got one show a so month. So you were looking to get a little, little extra money. A little bit little of extra money. Hustle. I wasn't even going to try to start my own business because I, I was just going to do this for fun. This is something oh, I was going to do for fun. Gotcha. Well, then I got so many phone calls from people saying, hey, I want you to do my wedding. I want you to do my wedding. Hey, a friend of mine told me you did this wedding. So it got to the point where I was like, I was happy just to do one show a month. Then I was happy just to do two shows a month. <laughs> and then once I got to two shows a month, I was like, I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of requests. So I asked Dorothy, we sat down as husband and wife. And I said, Dorothy, I think I can do this full time. And Dorothy's like, are you sure you want to give up your insurance? You want to give up your car? Because I had a company car that they paid for. You sure you want to give up not going to New York City whenever you feel like working? I was like, yeah, I think so. I think my dreams, this is what I've been wanting to do for years. I think I can do this. And so I did. I quit everything. And I was all in for just to be the number one DJ in Kansas City. And five years later, here I am, this. you know. So that's okay. So it's been five years. Five years. Doing your own thing. First year where you just like, yep, this is it. First year. I mean, did you ever go through the tough time? Of course, we'll talk about 2020. Yeah, I, I did. I, I went through the ups and downs like every business owner uh, has. I've had ups and I've had downs, obviously, 2020. Uh, but the ups have always, and it doesn't matter how down I've ever gotten. I always get an up every weekend. Yeah. So every time I made somebody laugh and I get a review, reviews are nice. So people... Fill out reviews to for everybody you can. Yes. It, it helps us, makes us feel good. But yeah. not only do the reviews make me feel good, it is getting a thank you card several months later. And now is their new addition to the family. Uh, matter of fact, uh, a couple of ours that just just got married a year, two years ago, I DJed. They just had a baby. Dorothy and I dropped off a box of baby goods for them. And oh we're my still, gosh. You're so such to a me, that is the part of I love. That's the ups. Like, I love watching people grow. Like, I love, I've DJed for many families and I've DJed for all four of the daughters or, you know, the whole family. I DJ for brothers and sisters. And that is the part that I like. And yeah. so the down, even the 2020 can make it down, but that, those are the positive things that I like yeah. that I made people laugh and had a good time. And I, 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 I never told you this story, but, uh, one of the things that changed my outlook on becoming a DJ full time, uh, is back when I was living in St. Louis, I was DJing for complete music, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, three nights a week at a blues bar, rock and roll bar, small bar, but I got paid for it. But a lady was there at the end of the bar and my mindset and still this day still is you DJ like there's 500 people in the room. I don't care if there's 500 people or five people in the room. You still act like there's a thousand, you know, there's yeah. so many people there. So I just run around the room, had fun with everybody I can. There was five people in this room. You couldn't tell me that, but I still played the good music. I danced. I saw a lady in the bar. She just had her head down crying. I didn't know what she was crying about. I just danced with her. I said, come dance with me. So I jittered bugged with her. And uh, my mom taught me how to <laughs> jitter everybody bug. happy. It did. And then um, she came up to me and told me that she just got divorced after 32 years of marriage. 
is she was going to go home and commit suicide, but I changed her life aspect and told, and she said, you show me that there's a lot more to live for than just a guy. And I was like, well, you're welcome. And so we exchanged phone numbers and, uh, she was like in her late fifties, early sixties. And here I am like 20 years old, 21 years old at the yeah. time working in this bar. And we remained t contact. I finally moved out to Kansas city, but that right then and there told me that I have a gift and just being wow. a Christian growing up Southern Baptist, you know, not allowed to dance and I don't drink. I don't, I'm not a big drinker, but not allowed to dance and music was like a faux pas. And oh, yeah. Especially and backward I, masking and, and all, here I am dancing all the time. <laughs> I was just like, well, God gave me this ability to make people happy. So why not do it? Yeah. And so that's why I became a DJ and, and why I still become a DJ is because I like making people happy. Yeah. That's so cool. You and I do share a love for life. You know, I, I, when people say, do you like what you do? I'm like, no, I don't like what I do. I love what I do. I, I, love what I, I do. absolutely, for a lot of reasons. One, yeah, I work with people. I love working with people and I like making people happy, but I like to be a part of one of the happiest days of most people's lives. It is. It's the, it's the, between that and having a baby. And, yeah. But now I get to share that part of having people having babies thanks to Facebook and yeah. social media. I, I love it. You know, you do a good job of staying in touch. It sounds like with, with, the couples that you work with i do i, I need do you have a certain software for that or no that so what i try to do is uh facebook so i try to post everything on facebook for one and then okay. i take a picture of it so it reminds me every year oh that I'll okay facebook, so it's good for that because uh, i've had couples so i did a wedding for a couple i don't 10 years ago now uh, remind me to tell you about a story of their kids i did a wedding for a kid of someone i married way long that's how long i've been doing this oh wow they had a baby and then 20 years later I did that kid's wedding ah. anyway, but I did this wedding like 10 years ago, whatever it was. And then they had a baby. I did a baby dedication service ceremony for them. Then they had another baby and I did another ceremony thing for them. And then one of their like sisters got married and I did that. So it's like, I'm like a part of the family, Exactly. you know, and That's it's my like, favorite. It's, yeah, I love that. And it's like, so now everybody in that family, when they're getting married, they call me. I did a family of four daughters. That's and so, isn't that great? Dad was just the last daughter that got married. What up, Maddie? Maddie's <laughs> uh, dad came up to me and was like, don't take this the wrong way, but it's the last check you'll ever see from me again. <laughs> You're and like, I, oh, come on. I was like, come on. You know, <laughs> but it's cool to see all four daughters grow up and just to have kids now and stuff like that. Um, but seeing some of the couples, you know, thanks to social media, just to, to maintain and, um, I try to keep in contact. And so my software does, so I can go back and tell you exactly when that person's last wedding was. So okay. I do go back and I send out a reminder saying hey, happy one year anniversary, but I try to be personal with people. So like when I do meet with them, um, I come to find out maybe the guys are motorcycle fans and I'm like, you know what, let's talk about the meeting, but bring your motorcycle. We'll go get lunch afterwards and we'll hop on the motorcycle. So after, doing their weddings we just remain friends oh, man, so i try to just cool. do that good. i'll have to take some tips from you and learn more about that so in the final like uh 10 15 minutes here um so you, you talked about being a christian yep. um give me a little bit of a story because you know part of the podcast the, the subtitle of my podcast is escaping religion and finding faith ah. and so you know i i uh i'm a former evangelical pastor for 30 years and, um, you know, I've been on quite a, an evolution journey, uh, of my theological perspectives and what I think about all that stuff. But, 
Um, you and I had a good conversation while we were playing Frisbee golf. So raised a church going kid yeah, or was that up, later? A Catholic church. There was a, a Catholic church right up the street from us. Okay. Um, other than my backyard, the playground at the Catholic church was my second home. Literally uh, played there. I went to church there every Sunday. Um, I had a mom who was devout, 100% Catholic. My dad was Lutheran. I had um, aunts and uncles that were nuns and priests. So the crucifix laid all over our house. But my mom was taught that she was raised in that aspect. And she had to go to church no matter what. That yeah. was just her mom and dad were like, you're going to church. So my grandparents were very forceful. Well, my mom was like, you choose your own religion whenever it's time to go. But That's in the me. meantime, you're going to be Catholic till you can make that right decision choice. And so I did. I finally went to a Catholic church until I was almost about 12 years old. Yeah. And then I started going to Baptist church. I've been to a lot, I've been to every church I could physically go to. If yeah. my friends just to kind of see what just was just to see, because if my friends are like, Hey, do you want to go to Bible Baptist or do you want to go to church? You know, like you know, like in the summertime they had those church camps. Yes, yes. So all my friends would be like, Hey, you want to go to with me this this week? Yeah, I'll go yeah, Bible you. camp. Yeah, Bible just... camp, whatever it was. I went to all of them. I went to every church I could. And then I met Dorothy and she was Baptist and one of the families that I lived with, the Adlers, they were Baptist. And so I learned a lot of good stuff from them. And I learned a lot of good stuff from, you know, Dorothy going to church. And it wasn't just the religion that called out to me. It was the friendship that I built. Yeah. And like, I'm still close the with community. my community. It's the community. Like every Sunday, the teenagers, because we went to a small Baptist church in Ferguson, but it was so fun because we would play hide and seek in this church parking lot. And here we are like 16 year old kids. I mean, what 16 year old kids play hide and seek? None yeah, nowadays, no. but we didn't care. We were like, this is our friends. We went to the movies and then just building that friendship with these guys made me get closer to Christ. Yeah. And Dorothy's and I was pastor even told Dorothy to break up with me to, to, because I wasn't saved. And then the weekend that he told Dorothy to break up with me, Dorothy was going to break up with me is the the, the weekend that I got saved. <laughs> and so my pastor was like, you saved the day. I'm going to swallow my pride. <laughs> and so I, it's funny because I still talk to this, our youth pastor. And so, but just that growing up with religion and then, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'll be the first one. But after losing your mom, you're like, I don't believe in no religion. Who would take a beautiful, smart woman away from two kids? Yeah. You know, two kids and a grandchild. Right. You know, like I was mad at God for the longest time. But then I don't know what it was that clicked in in my head, going to church, meeting Dorothy and meeting friends. I started believing in God again. And I was just like, I believe in things. But there's some things that. You know, like growing up, I was taught, but now I'm getting an adult. I started to learn about other religions and yeah. stuff like that. So and I think that's where we connected because, you know, I, not that I get criticized for this, but you know, I, I, I say I was a former evangelical Christian. So I quasi would say, you know, are you a Christian? I'm like, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, it's like, I'm, someone said this today. They said, what are, what are you? I said, you know, I don't know. I say I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. Maybe I'm an agnostic Christian, meaning I, I tend to lean towards the Christian thing, but at the end of the day, I don't know, you know, nope. why, and nope. the reason I don't know is because you can't prove it. 
Um, but I choose to believe it's, you know, it's by faith. So I, I choose to believe I don't have proof of it, but you and I were talking, we were playing Frisbee golf and I was just inspired by this. And, and to be honest with you, it gave me hope for, uh, many of the Christians that I know, you know, especially Baptist, dear Lord. I mean, I'm very familiar with the Baptist church and the Baptist theological perspectives. And it's, it, I found it to be so narrow minded. It's this way. And the only way there's no other way it's gotta be this way. But and I just the, couldn't, I couldn't bite that. And so when you and I were talking, you're like, you know, I mean, this is just the way I choose to believe, but who, you know, you were more open. Yeah. And yeah. that, that's, it, you know, that's good. Well, I think prime example, think about like when I was telling you about dancing, you know, yeah. the Baptists consider dancing excessive celebration. Right. And I didn't see it that way growing up. Like right. I remember looking at my youth pastor and I'd be in the church and nobody had rhythm, but I'd be rocking back and forth and clapping to the beat. And I grew up, you know, like Southern, you know, not Southern Baptist, but first Baptist, which that's a little bit of the more stricter ones. Yeah. And my pastor would shake his head at me like no more dance, stop dancing. Yeah. But then I had a very cool youth pastor that had tattoos. It was more the contemporary type. And he told me, God gave you a gift use this gift. Yeah. You know, if you have rhythm, go ahead and clap and dance. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. And so I was always thought that what I'm doing was bad, but then he told me it's okay. So then when I became a DJ, I never felt obligated guilty that I am guilty or yeah. something like that. I found it that I am bringing cheer and joyful to people's lives and not just in weddings, but when I would go to church, I would dance. And then I slowly but surely saw my friends who grew up in that church their whole lives, they started dancing. Yeah. And then when we turn in our 20s, 21, and we start going to the bars together, we were still dancing at church on Sundays. Yeah. And I just knew that whatever I did, it's okay, because yeah. God's going to forgive me, because it's not like I'm doing anything wrong. Right. I'm just happy person. And I mean, it's better than being just a sad life. Yeah, I'm better than being a sad, mopey, dopey person up against right. the wall. So <laughs> you've heard that joke, right? The reason they teach in the Southern Baptist Church that you shouldn't have sex before you're married. No. So you shouldn't have sex before you're married because it leads to dancing. Ah. <laughs> and that was definitely it. I mean, I mean, I can't, what I can say, I mean, that's how I met my wife during dancing, you know, during dancing. So, hey, whatever. But, oh, yeah. I love it. That's so, another reason how I got into DJing. I do remember this real quick. Yeah. I remember my mom telling me it was seventh grade dance and I was scared to go to dance, to go to the dance yeah. because I didn't have a girlfriend to go with. But my mom said, all the girls like the boys that have rhythm. And my mom told me that in seventh grade and ever since then, it, I, I, that reminds me, sticks in my head. So all the little guys that are, learn how to dance, girls dude, like a dude. guy that could dance. Yeah, it's true. It, it is, is very 100%. True. It's a fact. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the part that, that I've always, um, I think that, that where I really came to a, I don't even know what the, like a crossroad, I guess, is being raised similar like you. Uh, my dad was actually Southern Baptist. My mom was Pentecostal. So it was, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't think about this, don't do that, don't masturbate, don't have, you know, it was, it was so restrictive. And, and that's where I thought and still feel this way is like, ah, that's all man-made bullshit. Yeah. Like God loves us, man. He created no us. What, and, God and loves us no matter what. All our this other are. shit you're, you're saying we can't, can't, can't. It's like, 
I don't think God. When I follow the Ten Commandments, I'm not going to go out and kill nobody. Exactly. But I don't see nothing wrong with drinking or dancing and doing stuff like that. Um, long as it doesn't cause you to lose your family, you know, exactly. go to jail, kill somebody. Long as it stays in that realm of stuff, it's not like. I mean, don't get me wrong. My my, my dancing has killed some people. It really has. <laughs> I've had a couple of people die on the dance floor. That's because they were happy and they were just That's ready right. to go. <laughs> but I I don't think that dancing is the devil's thing. It's not like, yeah. and, and I'll be the first one. I've never been that type of person to go up and dirty grind, like dirty dance with somebody. I've never been that person. I just want to go out and have fun. Yeah. And being fun is nothing illegal. And right. I mean, that's what makes everybody different in these yeah. days. So I well, agree about that. Well, 100%. I even remember, you know, the, you know, gambling was don't gamble, don't the, the reality is, if, if as long as you're not you're not losing your savings and yeah. losing your family, if you go and do a little slot machine here and there, there's nothing. It's entertaining. And long as, they, and long as they still put money in the tie, you know, like that's all that matters. And yeah. that's how I've always my, you know, and then and that's where I think I took. I've seen things, especially growing up Catholic. Catholics drink. Yep. Catholics dance. You know, um, some of the biggest ones I've ever done were like Catholic weddings that are drinking and dancing. And I was just like, whoa. And then going to Baptist and I was told, don't dance. I was like confused, you know, at 15, 16 years old. I was like, why can't I dance? I grew up with my mom watching my mom and dad dance and my aunts and everybody dancing. Next, we got to Baptist, a new household. I was like, what? <laughs> but that opened up my eyes to other religions. So then I got curious about Okay, so this is Baptist. This is well, this is what makes Baptist different. This is what makes Catholics different. This yeah. is what makes Pentecostal different. And yeah. then I was even got even more tricked. I was like, okay, the Mormons. Okay, I had friends I went to to grade school with. They couldn't celebrate, you know, Christmas with us. And I'm yeah. like, you got to go to your own little room. Well, what's that all about? Yeah. And then when I got older, I was like, what is this all about? So yeah. then I started to learn about that religion. And then we grew up in this thing called. 2001 something happened at night you know 9 11 and then i was like okay i gotta know about muslims and yeah. so i started learning about things and and i just got intrigued with it and then yeah even down to a point where i got a scholarship to go to college you know yeah. to learn about it but i'm not shaving my beard off i couldn't do that <laughs> um so in the any final comments so uh if people want to connect with you or hire you or look yeah, for your yeah. dj if business you guys want to find out more about mike king that's m-i-c-k-i-n-g music and events you can find me on everywhere you want uh find me on twitter at mike king music and events on instagram the same facebook as well the exact same thing mike king music and events uh you can check us out we've won several awards uh some major some major ones some uh, perfect DJ. I'm sorry. I've done the perfect wedding guide award for that, for the best DJ one, uh, second place runner up to the wed KC. And then also just to the pitch as well. Just the picture oh, came out. Dope. So yeah. So just won that. And then, so yeah, you can find us anywhere. Uh, we also check out our uh, social media, even our uh, website, you know, see some fun stuff that we do. Um, not you only do, do we do corporate, yeah, you do corporate, yeah, corporate yeah. events, birthday parties, ice skating parties. I also do photo booths too. So that's something that we oh. do too. Yes. Yeah, photo booths. And so we have one of the most unique photo booths in the, the, the city. It's portable so I can walk around with it. So that's another thing. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Okay. I like that one. Cause that way I can walk around and talk to people at the same time. So it's yeah. fun. So yeah, it's anything to do with entertainment far as, you know, birthday weddings, yeah, because you guys do functions. like lighting and yeah, like we do custom lighting so we can light up a building. We have 
fog machines, smoke machines, fireworks machines, you name it, anything that does with entertainment, uh, big screen TVs, production stuff. So we can do it all. So okay. Cool, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. And, I have uh, fun. This yeah, is awesome. Man, I appreciate it. My first it. podcast. Sweet. Thank you.